give it up for Mr. Greg Proops. Thank you, Adam. It's so exciting. Whoa. It's so exciting to be here. I'd like to remind you before we get started. First of all, thank you, Shakespeare and Company, uh, uh, for having us here. We were here last year, but in a private room. Uh, and now this year, we're in this room. I want to say hi to everybody <clears throat> hiding in the back there. If I could describe this scene to the people listening on the podcast, uh, we're trapped in a garret in Paris, like Victor Hugo. There's no air. Uh, there's lights, uh, and there's people sitting in the back who haven't the slightest notion of why they're here. And that's what makes it awesome. What I wanted to remind you of before we get started is that um, this show's free. So uh, if you have any complaints, the complaint department is so closed right now. Um, we have people who speak English here, I hope. Okay, hooray. Hooray for me. Uh, looks like we might win this one. Uh, thank you for coming out. Uh, I am an author. I wrote a book. Uh, it, here it is in paperback. Look. I haven't seen it in a few years because uh, I quit drinking. And so um, I lost the book that I had, my copy. Um, but uh, I probably, I might read from it a little bit later, but mostly I just wanted to talk to you because this is a podcast here and we're in Paris. And I couldn't be happier, for one thing, because, um, well, it's this time of year, isn't it? And to be in Paris at Christmas is, uh, uh, I'd like to start with some schmaltz. I realize there's probably a lot of English people here. And so sentimentality and human feelings are things that you abhor and abjure and uh, don't tolerate in your presence. But uh, I'm going to start by being schmaltzy and saying uh, we're, we're, we're blessed to be able to be here together and hold hands once again. And uh, uh, try to find some solace in each other's company in this uh, what uh, passes for uh, a burning cinder of an earth. And uh, so thank you for joining me out here. Um, everyone is so quiet and staid, and I'm used to playing low dives and places where alcohol is served. So I hope I can loosen your guys' ass up before this evening's over. I'd like to start with a dick joke, as we say in America, or a knob gag, as we say in Britain. A teacher comes in front of his elementary school class and he says, I'm here to teach you sex ed. And uh, I have a banana here and a condom. And um, I brought the banana because I can't get an erection with low blood sugar. <laughs> I just thought we'd start. I didn't write that, by the way. That's a classic. It is, in fact, a holiday classic. And my grandmother taught it to me on her deathbed. Uh, I mean, she died. it was an accident. It wasn't like she died because of me. Uh, anyway, um, that was her favorite dick joke, and I just wanted to loosen you guys up with something at the top to give you an idea of how the evening is going to descend. Um, we've just come from London, and <clears throat> here's, a, here's a news flash. Um, the white people of London, still pretty fucking unhappy, okay? Uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to London, not the friendliest place you'll ever go. Uh, if you look someone in the eye in London, they look away, or they look back at you in terror. Um, because they don't know you and they haven't been introduced to you and they're not sure why you're looking at them. And then if you go, hi, they're like, mm -mm, no. Uh, I had these funny glasses that I was giving out. I meant to hand out a pair so everyone could look at them. And uh, they, uh, if you look at a light through them, they make little uh, shapes, right? So like if you look, there's an elf or a Santa Claus or a star or whatnot. And I, I tend to give them to people and most people put them on and go, wow, that's so cool, ha, ha, ha. In London, one person I handed them to went, <clears throat> did someone leave these here? And I said, no, why don't you try them on? And they put them on and they went, cute trick. And I was like, you know, Christmas is really the time when you want to shut down imagination and flights of fancy. 
You want to make sure everyone stays real grounded uh, about that thought. Yeah, here, go, please. Here, that way people will get a good idea. Here, go ahead and start them, hand them around. Look at the little lights, you guys, the little lights. The little lights are the good ones. Um, and then if you're uh, uh, in a car, every taillight and every headlight turns into the illusion as well. So if you're driving, it's great. Because you can't see the road, and all you see are little elves and Santa Clauses. And so I think the idea is to just drive in between them and try not to hit anyone. Again, thank you for being so serious. I appreciate it. You're a respectful crowd. You're honoring everything I say with a moment of silence. And I, I really I want you to know how meaningful that is to me. Do you have jokes, Greg? Some. Some. Uh, I love coming to Paris. Why? Because it's Paris, you guys. Um, I live in Los Angeles, uh, which isn't so bad. Uh, it's, a, um, it's not a city. It's an idea held simultaneously by a million assholes. That's what Hollywood is. A bunch of people came to one place and went, fortune is going to smile on me because I'm so special. And we all labor under the same delusion there. Whereas in Paris, people, of course, uh, come here for two reasons. One, to complain about their liver. And... I made myself hysterical with that one. That joke might have been better told in 1958. Um, and and to, um, to never accomplish anything. People come to Paris so that they can talk about shit till the end of time. And then if something bad happens, everyone can stand over the thing that's happened and argue over it for a long time. And that, and that won't solve anything, but that's the French way. I think really to like, let's discuss this until there's really nothing more to discuss. And then go, why can't we smoke here? You used to be able to smoke here when this was a city. And then the people took it over with their Starbucks and their stuff. Um, so I love playing in Paris, um, even with you guys. And because uh, uh, people will say to me, I'll do the comedy everywhere around the world, right? Uh, like Lisa Stansfield, except I found my baby. And, uh, uh, I, you know, in America, different places, and uh, Canada, whatnot. New Zealand and Australia, and um, they'll go, well, where's your favorite place to perform, Greg? And I'll say, Paris. And then, I swear to you, Americans will say, Paris, London? <laughs> yes, Paris, London, the Twin Cities. They're connected by the channel that the British built, and then they put a barrier there to keep the flavor from coming in from Europe. They wanted to make sure no flavor or spices got into England to destroy the salt barrier that the English built back in the 1700s. And uh, they, uh, uh, you know, because in England, if the deep fryers, like, fail, it's like code yellow, pretty much. I've, in England, it's important when you order food to go, could you take these vegetables outside and beat them to death with a stick for a couple of weeks because I can still taste flavor in them. I'd like it to be when I was a child, because all English people have this weird child. Like, I want, they want to eat boiled vegetables, and they want to eat pudding, is it? Uh, the rest of the world, I think you'll find, calls it dessert. Which brings me to another point, but I'm coming back to this one. Um, I, they go, why, Paris, London. And then I'm like, yeah, of course, Paris, London. It's right near Berlin, Munich. And uh, it's, just, it's just above Rome, Pisa. And you really, you should try the gnocchi. Um, I think you'll find it's gnocchi. I think you'll find it's patronizing. I think you'll find it's patronizing. Um, and then they'll say Paris, London, and then they'll go, but why do you, Greg, why do you like to play Paris? 
And you're like, are you really asking that question? Because um, I'm like, okay, I love Ohio. <laughs> like Cleveland, whatever, Cincinnati, Dayton. Oh, hooray, Toledo. But like um, when you're done with the show in Cleveland, Ohio, and you walk out of the, the venue, you're in Cleveland, Ohio. And let me tell you something, the glitter rubs right off. I don't know if you've ever experienced a letdown like going over Niagara Falls without a barrel, but that's what walking outside in Cleveland after a show is like. You're like, oh shit, this is what's happening. God damn it. Um, but when you walk out of the venue in Paris, you're like, oh look, laughter, people kissing and whatnot. You walk by the Seine and people are like molesting each other and it's awesome. Like, it's like a petting zoo out there. There's just watching like ermine, like, you know, copulate and whatnot on the side of the Seine. No one kisses on the side of the River Thames, you guys. If you go to London, you can stand there till time ends. They don't want to kiss. They don't want to, you can't osculate near the Thames or emulate the older boys. You can't osculate on the Thames because cinders will blow into your mouth and the bitter taste of being English will back up in your throat when you realize that you voted yourselves out of the continent next to you. <laughs> so you fought World War II to make one big place and then later on a couple white guys were angry. I got it. Someone named Nigel was pissed off, and the next thing you know, you, you have to show your passport like every other asshole. <laughs> Thank you, four people like that, and everyone else is like, I still don't understand what this show is about. <laughs> What's a podcast? And why isn't he reading from his book? Um, Paris, that's right, we were on that. And, uh, so when you're done in Paris, you're... You're in Paris, and then they say awesomely, uh, "Hey, let me ask you something, Greg. When you, uh, you know, when you perform in Paris, do they get your jokes?" And I'm like, "Yeah, they do mostly. Um, I don't really perform to only French-speaking crowds because my French is plus weak, and so." The idea of getting in front of a crowd that has no English at all and trying to make them laugh. And after everyone, say, tune blog. You know, <laughs> and then I wouldn't even know how to do French humor. I'd have to have like big floppy shoes and whatnot and a fucking clown head or whatever. I know, French are more sophisticated than that. But I mean, you know what I'm saying. Uh, and I'm like, hey, lady, uh, they, uh, they'll go, do you get their jokes? I'm like, yeah. How many times have you heard about comics coming to America from France and performing in French? To, uh, right? To an only English-speaking crowd. It really doesn't happen as much as you might think. So why would it be the reverse when I go to France that I would just go like, oh, Parisians only. And I want to make sure no one understands a word I'm saying. Because the most important part of reading poetry or reading literature, stand-up comedy, is that you not be understood. <laughs> it's imperative. Um, <laughs> so... We have a lot of experiences here in Paris, my wife and I, and I will take, uh, Jennifer and I come to Paris, uh, Jennifer's sitting right here, for those of you in the back, you can't really see her, but she, she's right over here, and um, she set up this whole gig years ago here, and then it's led to this terrible night where so many of you are wondering, what happened to your holiday season? It started on such a high, and now you're in this hot room, and it doesn't seem to end. 
And he's mesmerized by the sound of his own voice. No matter how little of a reaction he gets, he seems to get more excited about what he's talking about. Um, and uh, so people will say to me, um, I'll say, well, my wife and I go to Paris. We try to go once a year, you know, if we can, at least twice sometimes. And they'll go, why do you want to take your wife to Paris? I'd just like to stop here and uh, say that it's men who ask this question. <laughs> men will stare into my eyes, square their shoulders, and go, why do you want to come to Paris? I'm like, hey, dude, maybe you want to rethink the uh, relationships in your life. Maybe <laughs> taking them to see your cousin in Dayton, Ohio that she fucking hates wasn't that great an idea. Maybe she didn't want to sign off on that. Maybe she wanted to shop for shoes and eat cake and have wine and walk down the Champs-Élysées or whatever. Maybe that would be fun for her instead of watching football with you and going, you going, hey, shut up! <laughs> have you ever considered that part of your relationship that you might want to improve it by actually taking the woman you love to Paris instead of making her do the shit you like because you're a straight fucking guy? And you have no fucking gaydar. You don't know her shoe size. You're a fucking bummer. Okay, dude? You wear a baseball cap at night. Because what? America's not great enough? I don't get it. I don't get it. There's no baseball in a room at night. Guys wear baseball hats at night in America all the time. Now everywhere on earth. But mostly in, in America, you see it a lot. And, and this will give you an idea of how uncool it is everywhere. When Jennifer and I go to Amsterdam, and um, uh, you can get high in Amsterdam. I'm sure you're aware of that. So you can get high in Amsterdam. So when we go to Amsterdam, you can get high there. <laughs> I have no idea if I've repeated myself. And um, uh, there's one cafe that we, or coffee, coffee shop. And it's always a Dutch guy who looks like he was in an 80s hair band with a wallet chained to his ass selling you. Thank you. One person's laughing. Everyone else is, we don't go to dope bars, Greg. In fact, this is probably the lowest entertainment we've come to in quite some time. Normally, we'd be at the opera tonight critiquing or wondering why this bolero wasn't up to the usual standards. In this critic's opinion, Greg was loud, mostly. And then more vulgar than amusing. I review my own show. It saves you the trouble, and it cuts down on the chit-chat of people going, is this good? I'll answer it for you, yes. Here's a rule of thumb you may want to go by as the rest of this continues on. Anytime I stop talking, it's hilarious. You did pretty well just then. I'm going to remove a lot of the decision-making from you guys. I can see there's a lot of decision-making going on, and people are like, I don't like this part, I like this part. Let me just tell you, this is all fucking solid gold, you guys. <laughs> it's called Shakespeare and Company, because it was named after my act. Yeah, what a rogue and peasant's like, behold, I have a weapon. No finer weapon did upon a soldier's thigh sustain. Uh... So yes, they get the jokes. Oh, so this is what I want to say. We're having a Christmas party after, or what I, uh, um, the English call it Christmas, but um, what is Santa Claus Father Christmas? Because they wanted to kind of take all the sex out of it. And um, uh, well, I was saying at the beginning, um, uh, uh, the white people of England are still pretty unhappy. Um, I'm not, I, I understand why. Uh, and then they all say like, well, we don't want other people from other countries to come here. And you're like, but if they don't, 
shit's going to stop in a big hurry. Like, no one's going to, there'll be no food, nothing. It's like in America when people are like, oh, Mexico, like I was in Texas and they're like, oh, Mexicans, they're and I was like, Texas, you guys, what would you eat? Because what is uh, Texas without Mexican food? Oklahoma. That's an American geography joke. You can Google that on your Uber on the way home and I think you'll find it most amusing. I'm sorry, on your mountain bike. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, or, or you're walking down Sur La Seine. Uh, what was the one I wanted to do? Oh, there it was. Um, you're not supposed to, you, you have to sing. Uh, I don't know, I think we're singing after. I think we're caroling, as they say. Um, and uh, for all the people named Carol, what an exciting time for you. <laughs> because people are always like, let's go caroling. And you must be like, fuck yeah. I'm down. I'll lead the carols because I'm Carol. And if your name is Carol with a K, that's so super sexy. Then what, like are you a Czech or a Hungarian or something? And then you can be like, no, we're going to sing one in my language. And then you don't even have to because everyone would believe you. If your name, or and if it was Carol with a K-A-R-Y-L, then you could really confuse people and be like, I'm using um, vowels that really are out of bounds, unless you're Welsh. Um, thank you, that was for the Welsh people in the crowd. He's reaching now. Um, we're gonna Carol after, and not Karen. And, because uh, Karening is what a lot of people like to do. They're like, I didn't like it. Um, there wasn't enough fun. I didn't, there was candy wasn't sweet enough or whatever. That's what caroling is. But caroling is when you sing. And um, uh, uh, there's no other time of year where you're forced to sing about how fucking full of goodwill you are <laughs> and how much you love your fellow man. They really don't force you to do that. There's no Easter carols, right? You don't get up on Easter morning and you're like, you see those bunnies hopping and Christ is rising there too. It, 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 it doesn't happen. And then there's The Little Drummer Boy, which is a very perplexing carol. Um, if you know the plot of The Little Drummer Boy, he's in the manger with a drum, beating on it while Jesus has just been born. <laughs> I know. It seems like a site-specific sort of noise hassle in a lot of ways. And you kind of feel like, would Jesus w appreciate that? Uh, the miracle of his birth? Like, hit the cymbals. Let's see if his head lights up. Um, <laughs> The three wise men are there, uh, um, um, who are all Jewish. Let me just ruin that story for you. Uh, and and the, the, evidently, according to the little drummer boy, the ox and pig kept time. Uh, and uh, I guess the donkey doubled on maracas. And the, <laughs> the chicken played that walking bass line that I grooved to so freely. While the star shines in the east and three wise men arrived on a night that didn't really happen. It happened, it happened. You know that Christmas happened because I live in Los Angeles and people are extra special, big um, jerks during Christmas time. For instance, if you go to a, a place to shop and you pull in in front of them and you take what they perceive as their parking space, they're willing to lay down, the, to square off with guns and, and settle the Christmas issue once and for all. Uh, the, people get real proprietary, they get real huffy about their parking spaces uh, in Los Angeles. Like Paris is sort of a catch-as-catch-can, you know. 
very Parisian. They honk and then they, ah, there's lots of drama. And then they'll, oh, and then they say some horrible French swear words at one another. And then they go off into the night and laugh and then have a gay escapade and drink some wine and then write a novelette. <laughs> but in Los Angeles, they, you know, people will pass you on the right going the speed of Halley's Comet and then try, yeah, and you're like, where are you going? What is that important in L.A.? You better be going to the Center for Disease Control with a cure for leukemia if you're going to pass me the speed of light and endanger all of our lives because I will bend her you into the fucking curb so hard. <laughs> ben her is a story. I don't have time to annotate everything. I really don't. So you come to Paris and Americans uh, think that Parisians are, are rude. And summary and peremptory and snotty and hoity-toity and full of attitude. And it's not true. They're at least not two of those things. And I found the Parisians to be accommodating and lovely and intelligent and sensitive and smart and snotty. And uh, we were in a restaurant a couple of years ago, my wife and I and my boyfriend and her girlfriend, and we went... Uh, one of these little places around here that was, um, you know, it's from 500 years ago, so it's, well, brimming with plague from times past. That's what really no one ever talks about here in Paris. Like, this is a beautiful building here, this uh, Shakespeare and Company. As you can see, the wooden beams from the 16th century and whatnot. Well, they opened it up to put the cafe in, and uh, Jennifer and I visited during that time. And because it's Paris, for safety measures, when they had opened up the uh, walls here, they um, put plastic there and didn't tape it down. So it was a gateway for the wind to blow the microbes from the 1500s into the modern Parisian air, so that you too may have a disease that Rabelais once suffered from when he was writing Gargantua and Pantagruel, when he was putting the last few moments onto it and dipping and, and dabbing the ink the last time, he, je me l'ad, you know, right? Ma foi, ma foi. And um, uh, uh, that you, so Jennifer and I were visiting and we went to the office and we looked at the Notre Dame and whatnot and then we came home and were violently ill for several weeks from, the, and oh my God, everyone's all sad. I died. I didn't get better. So <laughs> I'm so sorry about that part of the story. <laughs> um, no, we got better. Um, but uh, so there's that. No one ever talks about that in Paris. Like when you're in the RER or whatever, or R&R, what is it called? Easy. Um, the L-E-L. When you're in the L-E-L. Uh, the, the dust that's kicked up is uh, really not that healthy. Um, people like wear masks now, which I appreciate. To be honest, before COVID, I was surprised we didn't all wear masks and greet each other with sticks, like in the 1400s. <laughs> because I don't know about you, but this whole touching people and touching shit other people touched, and I don't mean shit, there's a lot of people here, maybe this is your second language, touching objects that other people have touched. <laughs> Like, for instance, when you're in the alley and you have to hold on to the balliow and you realize that everyone in Paris has held on to the same fucking thing that you're holding on to, and then you're like, uh, oh, right? I was just about to put a microbe into my head that came from a horrible person from La Havre who just got off a boat from Asia carrying some sort of hideous fucking monkeypox. 
It didn't need to be Asia. It could have been anywhere. I don't want anyone to think that I think that COVID was created in Asia. This isn't the Joe Rogan show. This is a humorous. This is a humorous show with facts in it. Facts that I made up. These are facts that I thought of, you guys. So they're bona fide facts. This isn't some nonsense. Well, it's a theory or whatever. It's a theory of facts that I thought of. Um, and so we go into this restaurant and it's sagging, you know, the stairs are uh, um, intermittent and, and have given up. And, uh, the, right, an aspirational staircase, like one day maybe it'll work again. And, you know, you and, and a really small little bistro, a little boat. And um, uh, the waiter, I swear to you, looked exactly like Pee Wee Herman. He had white hair. And I really expected him to go, bonjour. <laughs> and then uh, je meant to do that. Uh, so uh, uh, we ordered, um, we didn't order the house wine. And this is a place where nobody doesn't order the house wine. They had like two bottles of wine on the menu, right? And one was like 25 euros. So, uh, you know, hey, look at me. I'm Diamond Guillaume. So I... <laughs> I fucking, you know, hang the expense. I'm with my wife. Uh, let's have a bottle of your $25, your 25-year-old wine. So now they're all over us, like white on rice. I don't know if you know that expression. It's a, an American expression. It doesn't mean anything horrible. Um, they were all over us, right? And um, a, a, a Scandinavian couple came in, very sexy, very detached, like all Scandinavian couples. They're really gorgeous and thin, you know, and the long brown hair, and then there was a sweater and whatnot. And it was clear that they had unsuccessfully had sex earlier in the evening. <laughs> the disappointment with sex was written all over this couple, right? The women are smiling, the men have their arms crossed and are judging. Because you're like, it was never disappointing to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> about you. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, it's curved, it's small, it's weird. Yeah, no, it's so exciting every time. Um, the, uh, not the dick joke crowd I'd imagined, Adam. <laughs> they were really nice and they couldn't get the waiter to do anything, right? The waiter ignored them. They, and then I swear to you, and I wished it was different, they ordered soup and they had soup. And, yeah, they're in Paris. Hey, how about a salad and a cake and a steak and some wine and then like have sex in the bathroom and then score coke from some Parisian dude on the corner and then buy some shit from a bag outside the Louvre that you have no idea what it is. And then the guy in the corner goes, African art. Go like, yeah, I need African art, man. Let me have a quarter ounce of Gabon. Um, no, they had soup and they didn't talk to each other and then they split. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Cupid. Pull back your bow and let your arrow flow straight to my lover's heart. Because they were like, wow. So they split. And Jennifer and I proceed to tank up some wine and we go downstairs. Finally, we get l'audition. And I make my way down the staircase, which is precarious, right? And it's breaking and it's come in and squeaking and whatnot. I get to the bottom and he's got one of those old fashioned check things that you put that they only still have in Paris and a couple of places around the world. The, 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 uh, the check goes on a steel spike like this. Have you seen this? Right. It's all really old school. Like now I know you're all used to this one. 
and then you wave your card over it because you're a credit wizard and you're making your incantation or you just gently touch it to it and then the green light goes off and you're like, no tip. Right? Because you're a fucking dick. But old-fashioned people would put a bunch of money on the table and then the person would go, oh, merci or whatever. And then you go, oh, you know, I want to wander. And then you'd start singing like you were Audrey Hepburn in the movie, except you would sing in tune. Oh, were you making fun of Audrey Hepburn singing? Yes. I'm going to do a little of Audrey Hepburn singing for you from the movie Funny Face. I want to see the den of thinking man like Jean-Paul Sartre. I will philosophize with all the guys down in my mortuary and my panas. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's called Funny Face. You can Google it later. So he's got the seal spike, right? And he takes out the check and he starts to write it down. We had like the... Uh, I had French onion soup because that's how I fucking roll when I'm in France. Right? Fromage. Do, let me have the soup of your country. And make sure there's beaucoup d'oignon. <laughs> so uh, we had the French, uh, the onion soup and uh, uh, steak, whatnot. And he's right. So I said, well, uh, you know how much? And he goes, like, 75 euros or whatever. And I go, there must be some horrible mistake. <laughs> and he goes, well, perhaps you should consult with Detective Harry Callahan. And I said, I'm coming back here tomorrow night to get to the fucking bottom of this. And he goes, for you, the mystery is never over. <laughs> Apparently this happens to you guys all the time. I'm quoting verbatim what the man said to me. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, nights like that here. Uh, one night, we were, one day, we were out at... Um, uh, uh, across the way at the the eel, and um, uh, which one, the San Luis? Well, I know we're on the mainland here, but <laughs> cast your mind over the water. Come with me on a giant journey across the water, and uh, we were um, sitting at. There's a real super awesome right wing Nazi Marie Le Pen cafe right over there, and. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. And, uh, you know, they have the white tablecloth and uh, the waiters and the waistcoats and the thing. Like, very Parisian, you know. And, it, like, it's 1890 or whatever, and they're, you know, angry that the last Napoleon died. <laughs> the, you know, the communards, they come, but they don't tip, and I hate them, and they're so messy, and their scarves get caught in everything. <laughs> and they're, yeah, their little kicky hats, whatever, you know. And um, the communards... Anyway, um, so uh, it's a Nazi. It's a nice place, and you know you get you get traditional food. You know, like uh, uh, you know, um, eggs blanc, and uh, <laughs> and uh, so we get our food, and um, uh, oh, that was a uh, car. Uh, I'll be there. Um, Give me a minute. Uh, a Mercedes comes 
bombing down this little road right on the eel here. And you know how there's those enormous um, stanchions or metal things that are on every Parisian street so that when you're with your friends and you've had a couple drinks, you can walk into them. And if you're a man, crush your gonads and really, really hurt your inner thigh. I don't know if anyone's walked into them, but you're like, oh yeah, that was so funny. Ah! Um, they hurt, right? And, uh, or you, you could break a hip, I think, if you really work out of it. Anyway, um, uh, right next to the stanchions, this Mercedes comes bumping up and just goes right onto the curb. Bang, bang, bang. No parking. Just bang onto the curb right this. Screech! And Jennifer and I look over, and uh, a guy gets out who's fucking got an automatic weapon, right? And he's got a shaved head and the glasses and shit. Now it's like a cologne ad. You know, right? Or like a bad movie with them. Um, who's that British actor with the... The bald head is in all the fucking. What one? No, which one? Jason yeah, Jason Stratum. It's like a Jason Stratum movie, and he's about to go leave it. Um, he, this guy, gets out with his gun and um, opens the door, and out on one side gets a blonde, and, and she's leathery, uh, sort of a burnished furniture kind of, you know, comfy chair, club chair kind of leathery, and. Uh, she has a, 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 a little dog with her, you know, that you carry, right? Like a little teacup dog or whatever. Or a, we're in France, a little demi-tasse <laughs> dog. And out the other side comes a dude with a stick and uh, an enormous dog. And he starts hobbling and they both come into the cafe outside. And by the way, to set the scene, we've been sitting outside. It was uh, spring here in Paris. And so you know what spring means in Paris. Intense wind. And so... Thank you. Everyone thought I was going to say it's romantic then. It is, if, if you're a leaf. Um, we were sitting outside, and the wind kicks up, and all of the wine glasses on all of the tables fly off the tables, and beautifully cartwheel through the sky with the wine spilling everywhere, forming a thousand droplets, and the fractals are reflecting off it in the afternoon sun of Paris. And you can catch the scent of, uh, of, of uh, blossoms as the wine glasses crash to the ground and explode in a zillion different shards, like a thousand diamonds reaching for the sky. And then the waiters come out and stare at them. And no one cleaned up anything or helped you at any point. They just looked at the broken glass, looked at us like it was our fault that the wind blew all the glasses off the table and threw their um, napkins over their arms and went back inside. So now up comes the Mercedes, right? And um, out comes the dogs and the, and the blonde lady and the man with the stick. And they thump into the cafe. And he hits my table, bang, like that. And I look up. And it's Jean-Paul Belmondo. The French movie star. Now, a lot of you here are young, uh, but uh, um, Jean-Paul Belmondo invented cinema in the 50s. There was just, people would go into rooms and there was just darkness. And they would sit there and be like, what's happening? And then Belmondo came along and he was like, Lumiere. And everybody, oh, look, light. And then all of us, and then pow, right? And then, ooh, and the cigarette, and then, ah, ah, and then a car, and then, pow, 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 pow. And then, ah. He flew off a building and whatnot, because that's what Jean-Paul Belmondo does. Then he took his shirt off, right? And he, right? And so he's so sexy, right? And uh, obviously a Nazi, which is fantastic. And uh, I'm joking, of course. Please take everything I say with an ironic grain of salt. And um, 
he's got the big dog with him, and he bumped into my chair, and I look up, and he goes, pardon. And I was like, uh, no way, Mac. We're going downtown. I took out my fucking knife, right? And I squared with him. I'm like, not this time, buddy. This time we win. France surrenders. So I'm like, oh, my God, Belmondo kicked my chair. And uh, which is the name of my next book. This one's called The Smartest Book in the World. The next book is Belmondo Kicked My Chair. <laughs> and um, so he goes and he sits. What are you doing? Oh, I see you're helping. <laughs> people were rushing the stage, you guys. If I could, there are a lot of people listening out there in podcast land. I want you to know what happened just now. A calamitous event took place in this tiny hot room. A woman leapt toward the stage and grabbed a metal brace that's the only way it can be described that's holding my arthritic book on top of a stack of two other books which by the way no they haven't been in the basement that long I should think well these are like the microbes of 500 years ago Belmondo sits down and um, he and his wife sit on either side of the table and she's a blonde who, uh, uh, her figure, what was the line? Oh, I can't use that line. All right, here's another one. <laughs> her, her figure was two universes uh, locked in orbit. And um, she, heard, she had her little dog with her, and she ordered a salad, and she didn't say a word or acknowledge Jean Paul Belmondo in any way. And Jean Paul Belmondo ordered um, uh, the hamburger with the egg on it and the French fries, right? And, uh, uh, Every single waiter who'd been ignoring us roundly during the glass incident of 2011 <laughs> where all the wine glasses in Paris smashed to the pavement and were laying amongst the cobbles with the wine pouring inside them like a shot in a Peter Greenaway film. Uh, just the wine, you know, and a bug on top of it. And then bong, bong, bong. Um, the, uh, 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 all of a sudden, every single server is free and very, very enthusiastic about coming outside now. And they all, one after the next, shook hands with him. In ascending order, waiter, 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 maitre d. Then, fantastically, the chef came out, who looked exactly like the chef in the movie Lady and the Tramp. He had an enormous mustache and a big chef hat on with blood all over his apron. Yeah, it was fucking great. And he came out, and everybody shook hands with Belmondo, one after the next. And then people started coming up and shaking hands with Belmondo. And Belmondo fucking signed autographs and took pictures and, and talked to people. And the wife ate the salad like she had been just released from um, Wormwood Scrubs after doing... Like she just got out of Chino after a nickel stent for dealing. She was like... Arm around the salad, fucking... Um, 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 um. To make it more clear, she was eating as if she had just been released from prison. <laughs> Since all of my references to various prisons around the world seem to have fallen like a wine glass in spring in Paris off of a table. Uh, and uh, uh, so eventually there's a German woman... Well, not a, I think that's a, a given in any story. Eventually there's a German woman. Any good story. There's a German woman next to us, and she eventually turns to us, because everyone's rigid with excitement. And um, she goes, do you know who that is? Right? And we're like, yeah, it, it, we do. Um, and uh, uh, 
you know, it's Sonia Raquel. And um, so uh, we, we phone people from the table in other countries and we're like, Belmondo. <laughs> he is near my phone right now. Um, I thought it was exciting. There isn't a big punchline to end that one. I, when I started this story, I had high hopes that we would ascend Everest together. But now I realize, uh, like Tenzig, you're going to leave me at the summit. And I'm going to have to climb down myself. Climb down is a term of, uh, is a figure of speech, Greg. You can't literally climb down. Uh... I've been thinking about this year, and I know I'm not going to go into the bad things. And um, uh, first of all, let me just tell you a couple things about myself. One, my eyesight's terrible. How terrible? I have a machine in my left eyeball that I bought in um, Toronto. I mean, I didn't buy it. Someone put it in. I mean, I went to a surgeon. I went to an eye surgeon. I went to an... There's a comic who just passed away. His name was Geechee Guy. And he was a a very nice man. And um, this was one of his jokes. I went to the eye doctor... Uh, uh, but I got it wrong. I went to the optimist and I walked in and I said, my eyes are bad. And he went, well, maybe they'll get better. Um, so, cause an optimist, um, I, I'm dying with other people's jokes, which is the name of my next album. And, uh, uh, uh so I went to the eye doctor and my, I have glaucoma and um, I know a lot of you are like, well, Greg, isn't, um, doesn't smoking marijuana alleviate glaucoma? Well, I can tell you from personal experience, I've been con- uh, conducting a test study since 1976. And no. It, I found that if you get high every day since you're 16 years old, you still get glaucoma. What's glaucoma, Greg? Um, it's a fictional disease invented by eye doctors to make your eyes go bad and make you feel bad about yourself. Um, I'm not one of those people who's bound by medicine. Um, I only know how I feel. So, no, there's pressure on your eyeballs, and then eventually, like a Cronenberg movie, you're a danger to society. (laughs) Because your head might explode or whatever. Like I forget which one that was. Videodrome? Uh, And uh, um, so I I went to the eye doctor, and she goes, uh, the optimal, the optimal, the eye doctor, and she goes, uh, um, there's a lot of pressure in your eye, and um, you're going to lose, uh, the first eye doctor goes, um, Melissa, Melinda goes, um, uh, I'm going to put some drops in, and um, we're gonna, then we're going to take the pressure on your eye. So I want you to go to the lobby and pray. Now, yeah. I, you know, I'm not, like I say, I love Faith. It's my second favorite George Michael album, but I'm not... <laughs> I'm not, you know, if you're a doctor, I want to kind of bank on that whole eight years of schooling thing. <clears throat> maybe, <clears throat> maybe we don't roll the, the dice with my destiny. Um, why don't we just, you know, uh, kill a chicken and look at the entrails or throw some feet on the ground and see which way it pecks like the Romans did. We get a good augury here. Um, why don't we just, you know, smash some grapes or whatever. Uh, let's pray to the jaguar god. Um, she's like, go into the lobby and pray. I'm like, I'm not certain that prayer is the most effective cure for glaucoma. I'm not a doctor. What do I know? So I come back and she's like, oh my God, your pressure is so high. She sends me to another doctor. That doctor goes, I'm going to have to operate on you. And I go, but I have to go to Australia to do a tour. And she goes, 
oh, go to Australia and I'll do it after. And I'm like, what happened to the urgency? So if you ever have any trouble with your eyes and they threaten to surgerize you, just tell them that you have to go to Australia and they let you off for like two weeks. So I came back and she um, <clears throat> taped my head to the table. And, um, oh, I'm thinking of another story. Anyway, <clears throat> that one had a really happy ending. Um, I'm laying there. Um, you have to get, um, uh, you, 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 when it's surgery, so they put me in a gown, right, where your um, nether uh, uh, areas are exposed to all of the Shirocos and winds and zephyrs that flow through hospitals. It's cold below the equator and uh, uh, fr frosty. And um, I have a hairnet on, yeah, and no glasses, so I can't see a goddamn thing. And I have a hairnet, and my nether regions are, are gently wobbling to and fro. And I'm laying there with socks on. So I think uh, a lot of you are going to have a lot to think about later tonight. <laughs> and the anesthesiologist comes by and he goes, my name is Dr. Berlin. And I said, that's completely unacceptable. <laughs> um, my family's had a bad experience with doctors named Berlin over the years. And we'd like all of our diamonds back. Get it? We're Jews. And um, suspend your Jew hatred for a few moments to come with me on this story. <laughs> I've made myself hysterical. So he goes, I'm going to give you a mild anesthetic. And I'm like, what? I go, is there any more disappointing phrase in all of English than mild anesthetic? It's like non-alcoholic wine or CBD weed or whatever. You're like, this is, nothing's going to happen. What do you mean mild anesthetic? Someone is going to put a knife in my eye. I want all of the Oxycontin. I want West Virginia emptied of drugs so that all of the Oxy in the world is going into my eyeball. I want to be fucking high as a Georgia pine. I don't want to think about it. I want to be like Mariah Carey on New Year's Eve, just floating over the earth in a bubble, and you have to be taken down with a javelin from K2, right? I want to be that high. And uh, uh, no, a mild anesthetic, because, oh, you have to keep your eyes open so that you can watch yourself be operated on. I know. I'll stop before it gets to the bad part. So anyway, she types my head to the gurney and she um, leans over me, the doctor, and goes, relax! <laughs> and I'm like, now I am at my ease. <clears throat> I'm not quite high. I'm scared shitless. You're about to put a blade in my eye and now you've screamed at me. So it's like being at home with my family during the holiday season. And uh, so she <laughs> proceeds to operate. And then at one point, um, comments to whom I don't know. There were other doctors in the room. She goes, God, Greg, there's a lot of blood. <laughs> and I'm like, Dr. Chung, 
I think we're confusing our roles here. My understanding is that I'm vulnerable with my head taped to a gurney, lying in an operating theater, and that you are, in fact, the physician who's in possession of all the expertise required to go through this operation that you purport to know how to do on my eye. And yet, you're informing me of how much blood is coming out of me. Here's my assertion. Once it's out of me, it's your responsibility now. I don't want it back, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. I'm the one bleeding. And so... Um, uh, everything is very, very uh, uh, foggy uh, now. I see, I can see you, but you're very um, smooth, and um, there's sort of that uh, 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 sort of super. Uh, like, did anyone put on the glasses? Um, you remember what those look like? That's what everything looks like to me. So you're kind of this. Uh, it's like a lesbian vampire movie from the seventies. <laughs> Sort of soft focus, and um, all I hear is like, and then someone lights a candle and whatnot. It's pretty sexy. First of all, know how great your skin looks. All of your skin looks amazing, and your hair is so lustrous. That's the best part of having shitty eyesight. And I have tinnitus. I really want to kill my parents. Let's just stop on a Christmas note here. Hey, thanks, Mom and Dad, for having the worst DNA in the history of fucking mankind. Oh, but didn't you give yourself tinnitus and, uh, and glaucoma? No! It's hereditary, I think. Anyway, I'm blaming them. I'm holding them to it. So, uh, what's tinnitus? It's when you hear a high-pitched squeal all the time, or sometimes it's ringing and whatnot. Sometimes it's bells. In my case, and you're not going to fucking believe this one, it's enormous flocks of birds. So... <laughs> <laughs> While I'm talking to you, I hear in my head the parrots of Belize <laughs> circling this room while the taper runs toward the river with its flanks churning and the sweat pouring off it as it's being chased by a jaguar and a green monkey swinging in a tree and there's a big bunch of plantains and then someone comes up in a canoe and whatnot. That's sort of what I've got going on in my head. <laughs> So if you're like, I don't see, Greg seems unfocused. Hey, I'm hanging tough, you guys. I don't know if you've got a flock of parrots and a canoe in your head, but I do. Uh, and I'm fighting through that every moment, you see. And you look like you're in a lesbian vampire movie. Um, so, uh, oh, look, we're almost at the finish line. Some of you are like, oh, thank God. Um, you know it's a great comedy show when people are like, I could really go for a crap uh, there's a, been a lot of chit-chat this year. And, uh, oh, uh, one quick thing. Because we're in a bookstore. I, here, I'll read something from my book. Oh, that was funny. Um, not out loud. And uh, now you can say you've been to the reading. See if there's any good reviews. By the way, well, these reviews were written before the book came out. From the bold, beloved comic and podcast star. I did not write that. Um, if you're stuck wondering why Alexander the Great was so great, well, he did conquer the world. I know a lot of you are like, where do I get this fucking book now? Yeah, in any case, uh, um, uh, a woman, I was doing my improv show with my improv buddies, 
And uh, again, to repeat a joke that's probably been heard by a lot of you, um, my favorite comment about improv uh, or impro, if you're English, was an English person said to me, why not prepare something funny? <laughs> and then an American once said uh, to us, um, it's just a bunch of assholes playing charades. <laughs> Which hurts because it's true. We really are a bunch of assholes playing charades. And uh, um, we brought a woman on stage earlier this year, and I can't remember where we were. I think we were in one of the awesome parts of America, like White Point, Wisconsin or something. Uh, yeah, we were in like white supremacist Iowa. Uh, it's a small town just outside of Dubuque. And uh, oh, no, it's a, everything in Iowa is named after French things, right? It's Des Moines, Dubuque and all that. So it, it was like uh, Supremacy Blanc, Iowa or whatever. Hey, pipe down back there. I'm almost fucking done. And um, well, you can hear people heckling you from the book room, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, they're not even heckling. They've broken out into a discussion group over how I lost their interest 20 minutes ago. Again, I made myself hysterical because I pick up the slack. Uh, we brought this woman on stage and I, so he said, do you have a favorite book? And she went, I'm not into reading. And I, yeah, I thought, okay, okay, I can accept that. There's people who don't like music and there's people who don't like movies. I, I don't know if you know that. A lot of you are here tonight, but, um, there's people who don't like music and movies and you're like, okay, I don't know what your world is like. Oh, right. You're like a right wing talk show host or whatever, or you're like a Tory, um, uh, you know, and you go home and you beat your children and you eat some cold poison or whatever it is that you do each day and then you, oh my God, the poor, they're so filthy. You know, and then, oh yeah, oh, uh, you know, the Chinese made a thing and they gave it to me and I'm not going to wear a mask because I'm tired of people telling me to be nice to other people and caring about the common good. Fuck that shit. I'm an independent spirit and I'll roam the earth with my white penis dragging in the glass behind me that I don't, you know, whatever white wing people think all day, I have no idea. What's going through? Like, I'm a white, I'm white. It must be great. You know, I don't know what white people think. Because you meet the white people and you're like, not that supreme. Uh, and then they're like, oh, but I'm a supremacist. And you're like, yeah, but uh, based on what? You really need to back that shit up, right? Like Alexander the Great, okay, he conquered Persia and shit. He could say, I'm great. And everyone would go, okay, you're great. You know, because they had to. But like a white, you meet white supremacists and they're like, my cousin, and this is my cousin. I never had him cut off. You know, and you're like, oh, gross. You know, like your, your family portrait looks like a good day's fishing. And uh, I'm, I'm like, okay, you're not into reading, fine. And, uh, but it's not going to keep me from judging you harshly and making me think you're an idiot. I don't know how people get through life and say things like that. Like, well, I'm, I'm just not into it. And I thought, but even in your phone, even if you're just a phone person and all you ever do is look at your phone, occasionally words come up, right? Like from your friends, like uh, T-B-H-L-O-L, um, poop emoji, poop emoji, poop emoji or whatever. Surely you have to read at that point or whatever or decipher whatever emoji speak that the young are using with one another. Um, and then, she, yeah, like, I'm not into reading. What, you know, what are you going to say now? I'm not, you know, I'm not into talking. I'm just going to stand here. Um, uh, but the, a lot of comedians have been whinging and whining in England and in America. Well, you can't even do comedy anymore because everything's so woke. 
Um, right? Like, I haven't found that to be true. Um, I find that if you're not a racist, homophobic, transphobic, sexist piece of shit, there's lots to talk about. Um, there's John Paul Belmondo stories that go on and on. There's stories about being served in French bistros that have Dirty Harry jokes at the end that a lot of the crowd isn't certain who Dirty Harry is anymore. Or if they ever knew, they're like, it's not, not cogent. Um, but at no point did I go like, man, if I could only call people by hideous pejorative names, I could really up my fucking game. But people will tell you that all the time. They really will. Bloody, well, whoever, you know, Russell Brand, let's just say, let's for, for instance, uh, just because he came to mind, he'll be like, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're not letting it, like, they, the Chinese made a disease and Hillary Clinton brought it and they're keeping me from saying what I want. I can't say what I want. I have over a million listeners and I just can't say what I want. And you're like, <clears throat> you have a giant platform. Um, and that's not a euphemism because you don't have a giant platform. If you had a giant platform, you wouldn't be so worried about everyone listening to you. You'll find that people with giant platforms are very confident. It's the people with the small platform who have to whine all the time that no one's listening to them and, and their horrible racism. Like I just, we were in England to this morning and um, there, what's that show? They put people in the wilderness together and they're very unpleasant people and they usually were sort of famous and then they abuse insects and, and then they have a chemical toilet or whatever. I'm a celebrity, I think it's called. I'm a celebrity, comma, get me out of here, exclamation point. Which is, in fact, what the audience is thinking through the entire show. Please get me out of here. So they put Nigel Farage on it. And I don't know if you know who Nigel Farage is. He's... Um, uh, the, you've heard of the Brexit. Um, um, it's uh, England um, took uh, 500 years of their history and, and fighting Europe and fighting Europe and fighting Europe and taking over parts of Europe and then being beaten back from those parts of Europe and then taking them over again and then having like kings from Denmark and France England and Germany. England has had kings from everywhere because, you know, no one could like read well enough or whatever. So they brought people in from other countries. That's a joke. And <laughs> and they, uh, 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 finally Europe was one big place where you could go from all the way from Ireland uh, to whatever's on the other side of Europe. And, uh, and only use one passport and whatnot. And then there was a line, a sad line for the rest of us. It would say EU and all the big Roman Empire stars around it, right? Uh, and then, of course, the other sign said um, America, Norway, and the other sad countries. <laughs> so Nigel Farage had decided that everyone had had enough fun and that white people really weren't being heard and that the problem in England was White men have been talking and talking, but no one was listening to them. <laughs> when will white men be heard from? When will you see white people on TV? When will you see white men in parliament? When will you see white men as, as, as prime minister? When will you see white men uh, run things? When, I ask you, how long must we suffer with the tyranny of white men only running 95% of everything? 
Well, I mean, every day there's another black person like, what, they're vice president? What? I have to attack the Capitol. <laughs> so that's what happened in America, by the way. A lot of you are confused about the last election. Um, we put a black woman in the White House. She's the vice president. First woman to ever be in the White House. You wouldn't know. Thank you. One person. In, in America, you wouldn't even know it's historic because the news barely covered it. Because they were so sad that Orange 45, Mango Mussolini, Papaya Pinochet, the Oompa Loompa oligarch, Sweet Potato Stalin, they were so sad that he was gone. The Kremlin controlled carrot, that one. They were so sad that he was gone that they couldn't even focus on the fact that a woman snuck in. She wasn't president, she's vice president. And oh shit, she's black. What the fuck? What happened to my world? So the next day, they attacked the Capitol. That, remember when you were watching TV and like, you're like, what's happening in America? And all these people were wearing Viking hats and mankinis and shit and had sticks or whatever and zip ties. It was because a black woman was in the... Because they had seen the black man before, remember the black man? And that had fucking set their world on fire. And then when the black woman came in, they were like, now we've got to attack who has a Viking hat. This is what white people think of. I know you guys think I've made fun of white people a lot, and I will continue doing that until the day I fucking die. White people's idea of a revolution is to put Viking hats on and bring bear spray to the Capitol. Not a thought out plan like we'll vote this out or we'll you know, have a committee. If I wear a Viking hat and I'm loud enough, I think we can win. And these are the comedians that say that things are too woke. That's where they're coming from, I think, really. It's, it's more a matter of that. Um, and in conclusion, and thank you for visiting tonight's lecture. <laughs> <laughs> this is credit, no credit at the University of Paris, by the way, if anyone's taking um, American Miasma of Podcasting, <laughs> I think is the name of the course. Uh, uh, I should have a huge, huge closer here, but I'm not certain that I do. But watch me work. <laughs> so, Paris is the city of light, um, right? And I'm from San Francisco. And Sam, thank you. And no, I'm not. Thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> I just have a vocabulary. And uh, uh, so I'm from San Francisco, and if you're from San Francisco or you know anything about San Francisco, you know two things. One, uh, when you're from San Francisco, um, you know two things, and they are, one, um, everything. <laughs> and two, wherever you are isn't as cool as where you're from, except for Paris, which is pretty goddamn cool, except you don't have marijuana here, which I don't understand at all. I mean, I have. I brought it with me, but you don't have it. You don't have like low marijuana shop or whatever. And I'm waiting for that because they have them in Canada. And you know, the Canadian's idea of a, of a dope shop isn't that. I mean, in Amsterdam, like I say, there's a dude who looks like he's in a metal band. And he goes, Have you tried the dank? It's fucking you know, And you're like, Yeah. And then, and then I was in Canada and I swear, I went to a place in Toronto, in a basement, Toronto. And um, that's how they say it T R O N N O. That's how you pronounce it. If you should. If something happens in your life, you commit a terrible crime, and you're forced to go to Canada, it's called Toronto. And I went downstairs in this basement, and I go, how's this, uh, you know, the purple kush or whatever? How's the strawberry, you know, alarm, ocelot flavored licorice, infinitesim you know, infinitesimal, artisanal thing? And he goes, this one's dynamite. And I'm like, 
I didn't expect an adjective from 1972. <laughs> Let me ask you something. Is it also boss and tough? Because if this weed isn't neato mosquito, I'm not going to smoke it. And, um, <laughs> but France, if you would open up a store here, imagine how good it could be. First of all, there'd be coffee. You know that. So that you could get that fucking speedball going that all Parisians love. Where they just smoke um, nicotine until their uh, corpuscles are completely constricted. And then they drink a shit ton of coffee and then they argue with you. And then you wonder why they're mad when you almost hit them on their bike. <laughs> and in Amsterdam, they're just like, <laughs> whatever. No Dutch people, by the way, go to any of those places. It's only drunk English people who get so high that they try to drink out of the canal after or whatever. And... um. But in a French, a French dope place would have like little cakes and whatnot, little macaroons and baguettes and, you know, and uh, I don't know what this is. Um, French, it's French people just going like this. You would like some, wouldn't you? When I stroke the bread with my heart. Is that mayonnaise? No, it is aioli. <laughs> so... It would be much more fun uh, if you guys had it. But you have almost everything with that. Um, but people from San Francisco call San Francisco the city. And, and I know a lot of you are like, they do? Yeah, we do. And, uh, you know, some of you have been to New York, and you know that New Yorkers call New York the city. But we in San Francisco simply don't care about that. We call San Francisco the city. So if you're around San Francisco within hundreds of miles, you'll go, the city. Are you going to the city? I'm from the city. And then I'll be in other countries and meet people from San Francisco. And we'll be like, oh, where were you? Oh, the city. And people are like, we're in Paris. And you're like, you know, come on, the city. Hello? You know, cable car, ding, ding. Look, I'm a crab. <laughs> Sourdough bread, look at the view. One pill makes you nervous and one pill makes you small. But the ones that mother gives you don't do anything at all. You know, San Francisco. <laughs> the city. Hello. Duh. Um, that, I forgot my ending. <laughs> and everybody, oh, really? Um, yeah. Um, so, oh, I, we went to the parrots. Um, they asked us here, and we're, I'm going to wrap up. I know we've gone an hour and six minutes here. Um, uh, they asked us very kindly to, uh, re Jennifer and I, to read a chapter from James Joyce's Ulysses. It was the 100th anniversary this year. Last year? This year. Last year. Uh, thank you. I knew there'd be some literary wag in the crowd <laughs> to crack down on my error on that one. Thanks for not forgiving me during Christmas. You asked, Greg. I did. I'm being a knob. Last year... I gave you my heart, but the very next day, <laughs> this year, um, the, uh, yeah, tell someone special. Um, last year was the 100th anniversary of James Joyce's Ulysses. We were celebrating 100 years of people telling each other they'd read this book. <laughs> and I'm sure James Joyce read most of it. I mean, after all, he wrote it, so he had to. And then probably friends of his were like, after 150 chapters, it's so good. <laughs> like, I haven't been able to sleep for like three weeks. 
And I just picked it up right in the middle, and I, you know, uh, dreamland, you know. But it's actually, of course, it's a, a staggering novel, and it's really um, funny. He's Irish, you see. Um, Irish people are like English people, but they have um, um, human feelings. <laughs> and <laughs> um, so we read a chapter from it, and it's a very famous chapter. It's called um, Blitzen or something. And thank you, Adam. <clears throat> I read mine um, part in it with um, uh, an Irish accent so that it would be funner for everyone. <laughs> Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and all the saints. We're going down to Temple Street to get some chips and all. Oh, hello, Father. So I, th I thought it would be funnier if I read Joyce like that. Because when you're reading it, you don't actually put in all the Irish accents. But, and the crowd's gone completely silent. So I told my friends that I read a chapter with Jennifer from James Joyce. And it didn't really go over as big as I thought it was going to. <laughs> People didn't go, no fucking shit. People were like, uh-huh. And I'm like, would you like to listen to it? And they're like, I'm super busy um, with COVID and whatnot. COVID's been over for two years. Yeah, but I got the long COVID. And it keeps me from listening to anything related to what you've recorded. <laughs> All right, I will let you go. I, I had a joke teed up, and I've completely bloody forgotten it. And I'm, I'm proud of that now. I really don't, I'm never going to get back to that, that moment. And I know that um, you guys want to go, and I want to go eat and whatnot. So um, uh, on, a, on a very last note, um, there's a lot of tumult in the world and a lot of turmoil and whatnot. I would only uh, offer this, of course. Uh, it's imperative that we all um, look after each other and um, have some affection for one another and some sympathy um, for one another. I would also urge you, um, before you take a giant moral stance, to look at a lot of the people who are backing that stance and maybe question their motives. But why shouldn't I question your motives, Greg? Because one, I've never lied to you except for everything I said tonight. And I have no ulterior motive. I'm not a big corporate I, uh, titan. I'm not even a successful author. So I think you can trust me in that regard. But you'll hear people say, oh, um, this group's doing this and this group's doing that. And you may want to just sort of check into where that's coming from. So I want to wish you, uh, in closing, um, a, a very, very happy holiday. Whatever you're celebrating, you've been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. Thank you very much, and Merry Christmas to everyone. I wish you nothing but love.